Paul Simmons here with DeMarco Farr. We are at Cal Lutheran yeah. on the practice field. That's grass, Miles. It is grass. We have grass yeah. beneath us. Real surface. We have real surface. We're outside. We're outside. It's a little windy today. Why here, can't we do Thursday, this May every 16th. week? Why well, can't I mean, we do this every single week? I can care less about weather. No more studio crap. <laughs> yeah, no more of that. No more of this in-house stuff. This is football. You outdoors. Know, it's great. We've got uh, the Rams are now in phase two. So yeah. earlier today, they were out here on the practice field. They didn't do much today because it was raining earlier. Now it has yeah. cleared up, which is nice. But we can see over to our right where guys are just outside the weight room. I think Marquis Christian is like throwing yeah, a weighted get, ball down. You guys gave on the me the horrible seat. I love the setup, but I got my back to the guy. So well, I got to spin all the way around. We're set up so the way we usually are. Where so you I'm get the on, good seat. No, where yeah. I'm on your left and you're on my right, which like is I got the, the worst way this seat works. in the house. Just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it's good. No, it's good to be here because this means that football is getting yeah. closer. Football's coming back. Thank football God. activities are going on. OTAs start next week, but this week the rookies arrive in the building. You know, we, we talked about this last week, and I keep hearing this deal. I think it was up in San Fran about you should do away with rookie rookie mini camps. Yeah. And I told you how much I like them because it helps you get acclimated. And sure enough, all you hear all week is about rookies being starstruck when they see veterans come in. It is interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's going to happen. Um, I I would hate to waste reps because you still have your mouth open because you're you're, you're happy being next to me. You know, it's time for me to work, not for you to, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) To to be happy. I'm out here. I'm away from my kids, away from my family. I'm working at football. This is my profession. So, I I still like the idea of mini camps for rookies. You do? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's something to it, probably if you are a team that's really on the rise or, you know, a a team that does not have, I guess, the designs on what the Rams have this year, you know, because at a certain point, how much are rookies going to get out of that? If you do things properly, which I think the the Rams do things properly in the way that they do them, right? No, 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 no doubt. But I mean, you get to know where the hot tub is and you get to use it. You get to know where the equipment room is. You get to know their names. You get to know all this stuff before the real guys show up and steal every every bit of attention you could possibly get because you haven't been here long enough. Fair, but at the same time, yeah. the way the Rams do it is they kind of split things up between veterans working with the rookies during the morning and then the rookies have their own sort of separate time in the afternoon. Yeah. So they do get that more individualized experience where you get to be around the coaches True. and have more meetings than you would otherwise. And to me, I, I like it to, because I I think it's a little bit more valuable well, you have, than you would just have in one weekend and then you throw them in there and then well, this you have a, good, a group of good veterans here. I mean, you're, yes, you're, you you're, you're talking from a, a, a point of luxury. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You have good leader, uh, good uh, veteran leaders here on this football team. So I guess you can do without one. But for the average football team that didn't make the playoffs or didn't qualify for the Super Bowl that was under 500, it's a little bit different. You know what I mean? Well, right. That's Everyone's what... either playing or coaching for their job. <laughs> right, right. And this team is a little bit different, yeah, yeah. I think. And we've seen that over the last couple of years, and it's worked out over the last no couple of years. But no doubt. It's been interesting to talk to some of these guys over the course of this week. Um, we're doing these rookie profiles, as we've done in the past. And so we sit them down yeah. for kind of 10, 15-minute interviews. And so this week we've talked to uh, Greg Gaines, Taylor Rapp, Daryl Henderson, and then David Long, Jr. And the impression that I get from all of them is I see why 
the Rams picked you. Okay. Which is For interesting. each guy. Yes. Okay. Yes, because if you have somebody old, we can start with Greg Gaines, right? Yeah. He is somebody who loves to take up double teams. That's not something that you often see as just a defensive No one likes to take plug. doubles. He says he does. No one likes to take double teams. It, uh, he's willing to take double teams. Uh, no one likes to have two guys, his, 750 pounds of beef, trying to put you through the ground. His, no one likes that, Miles. His words were, I like to take he's up double rookie, teams. He's a rookie. He's trying to be nice. No one likes Maybe that. Maybe he he's is. He's willing to do it. You have to be willing. A lot of guys aren't. <laughs> I mean, that's. That's fair. A lot of guys just will not do it. Flat out will not take double teams. But if that's the gig and he's willing to do it, then so be it. I'm just but te- no one likes it. I'm just telling you what he told Even me when Paul I said Joseph doesn't like it. <laughs> Ask Aaron Donald if he likes being doubled. Ted Washington, you think he liked no, it, that big God, guy? No, no one likes it. No one likes to be doubled. Come on. I, you didn't like it, clearly. No one likes to be double teamed. <laughs> I'm just telling you what he said. That was one thing that, he, that stood out to me when he was yeah. talking about it because he said that there were ways that they tracked that at University of Washington. Yeah, and yeah. he always liked to see those stats because those they were the things that were meaningful to him. And yeah. if that's what you if that's what you like, and you can say that he doesn't like it, fine. But if that's the kind of person that you are, that's where you fit in. It's like well, being the henchman as you talked about a couple podcasts ago. Just like uh, I didn't learn the value of taking two until I became a pro. And it was reinforced a couple of years later when we had the great Bud Carson as our defensive coordinator. Oh, Bud Carson. Yeah, yeah. Bud Carson. I mean, just uh, he taught us a lot about being defense, but you, the thing that he used to lead every defensive meeting with was you can't trade one for one in this league and be successful. So if it's one block or one guy, that's that's not helping us. So somebody along this front or in this linebacking core or the secondary has got to take two at some point. You yes, know what I mean? Yes, yes. And you have to accept it willingly and fight through that block and stay in your gap. Uh, some guys will just give that up, mm-hmm. won't do it, and then the defense suffers. The running back gets, what, four extra yards per carry, and next thing you know, you're in the red zone. So if you can find guys that are – they have a willingness to step in there in that center guard gap, that A gap. I mean, it's a pit of hell. I mean, you want to talk about the last unregulated, unpoliced area on the field? It's right there. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> a lot of things can happen to you in there, and you have to be willing to stick your nose in and stay there right. for the good of the defense and the guy next to you. Yes, exactly. The The other interesting thing that came out of... That's why uh, I hate 3-4 defenses, by the way. Because <laughs> sometimes it's that linebacker that has to do that. And I don't trust linebackers at all. I don't. When okay. they're free to the football, they're great. When they have to come off blocks, a little bit different. Well, that's why you have somebody like a Greg Gaines to plug into the middle yeah. of the 3-4 defense and, you know, be stout like a tree stump. Right? I know what he means. I mean, he's, he's coming in with the exact right attitude. Yes. I mean, but what choice do you have? Which is part of what I was like. But what so choice do you have sort of if you watch football? Point. Now you're seeing the point I was making. <laughs> Go ahead. That, yeah. you know, he's got the right attitude and the right mindset and mentality for this. The other thing he said, though, that was interesting in, in our time talking together was that he played running back in high school. So yeah. imagine that guy being a load. Oh, that's no shock. Running up the, right? a, lot of, uh, a lot of the best defensive linemen you see in either college or, or, or even high school, all the way up to the pros, it's running backs that ate their way out of the position. <laughs> I'm, de- I'm, dead, I'm dead serious. When you watch the drills, right, when you watch running backs go through individual period, the footwork is the same. 
Now, the difference is you don't use your hands as much, but everything else is the same going through the bags. Right. Yeah, and the emphasis on staying low. But go ahead. Right. Yeah. No, I just thought it was funny. I mean, he's the kind of guy that he said he was too big for peewee football. Yeah. Uh, he got too big. He had to start playing with the older kids. We called them At the Max point, Pro kids. Yes, exactly. At one point, he said, you know, my dad was having me wear a trash bag just to make sure I could make weight. Yeah, chug, when chug. I'm like running around. I was uh, like, man. So, we all know. Yeah. yeah so yeah. That, that's your kind uniform of the story doesn't of Greg quite Gaines. match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's the biggest. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes, exactly. So, again, I think that he is the kind of person who can come in and be that stout guy well, in see, the middle of the defense. You know what? Like, like holding the point in college is one thing. And look, no disrespect. There were guys, there were first day guys in every school, correct? Yes. You know, uh, but holding the point, holding that double, holding the line of scrimmage in college is a whole lot different than holding it at this level. Of course it is. Yeah, when you've got grown be. men that have done it for years, they're at their physical peak, they're PO'd, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they're, they're either, I don't even want to say, they're either divorced or facing divorce. You know what I mean? Goodness <laughs> gracious. <Right? laughs> and they've got to come out and play hard every single week, so it's a little bit different, yeah. Yes. Uh. All right, moving on. I uh, also got a chance to talk to Daryl Henderson, and so what stood out to me in that conversation was I asked him, okay, what did it feel like just to rush for nearly nine yards a carry? You know, you're explosive, you're this, you're that. And he's saying, you know, I've broken records, you know, when I was in high school and college, but I'm in the league now, and that doesn't matter. Like, Not at to, all. He said his exact, his exact words, you have to flush all that. I flushed all that. You got to flush it. I yeah. like that. Yeah, right? Yeah. It, it, again, it's the kind of, Smart. it's the attitude thing. And you're coming in here and you know that what you've done in the past, it doesn't really matter because all of that is just college. That's a different level yeah. of football. Uh, facing Heisman Trophy winners, you know? It's okay. That was for that level. Now this is a little bit different, especially at running back. Um, you're going to have to prove it here, and you're coming with a bigger target on your back because of that yards per carry average in college, right? Um, they're going to probably know how to take you away before you even played your first game. So you're going to have to evolve. And I can remember this is when I first started out in radio, right here in Los Angeles, arguing about Reggie Bush when he was just the most dominant player in college football. I said it's not going to be that easy at the next level because every Everybody can run. If it's just about speed, then I'd say you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. You, you better be able to play uh, to, to back up that 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 so-called speed. You better be able to get get free and get loose. Yeah, everybody's fast yeah. at this level. At this and the speed. hash marks right in the middle of the field. It's true. Everything. It's I mean, true. everything's in the middle of the field. And yeah. it makes a significant difference when those hashes are that way. But, again, when you talk about why somebody is a good fit, it's that attitude. And I've talked yeah. to coach, uh, running backs coach Skip Pete about the way he can retain information. So on his top 30 visit, he came in and he was talking to Skip Pete for a while. And Pete said that he mentioned something early on in their conversation. And Henderson, you know, retained it very well and then brought it up later mm-hmm. when discussing something else and related it into two things. So yeah. that means he's got the kind of football IQ that you need at that position. Uh, I went to school with three guys, three running backs, and two became pro. One was a first rounder. One was Napoleon Kaufman. Uh, there was uh, steady Greg Lewis, who was a senior when I was a freshman, uh, played for Denver for a few years. I think he was a mid-round uh, draft pick. And then Bean O'Brien was a 4-3 guy. He was a fast, fast dude. Um, cup of coffee in the league. But actually, our best tailback didn't play. I mean, and these guys were college f- superstars when we were there. Uh-huh. But our best running back couldn't play. You know why? He couldn't retain 
anything. Huh. I mean, he was the fastest. He had the best shakes. Spring, like spring drills were a nightmare with this guy. But when you put him on the field, he couldn't remember anything past the play was given. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So if you can retain this playbook from any position, you'll have a chance to see the field faster, right? Yes. Especially from a guy that's going to carry it or catch it a lot like Todd Gurley. And I'll say this. He's got the ability. You see it. The, the explosiveness. You see it. And if... Todd Gurley can go from a first and second down thumper in his first year to what you saw the last two seasons under McVay. Well, what can this guy do coming in the door like that? Sure. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to monitor as time goes on. Also, I think one of the interesting things about this class and somebody like David Long, because he had so much success at Michigan and a lot of that success kind of came from the fact that well, teams weren't throwing at him. This guy is somebody who's super that's about to change. competitive. <laughs> I know it is. Yeah, yeah. A, that's going to change. But B, he is so hyper competitive. Yeah. When I was talking to him, he said that it was super disappointing that teams didn't go after him more because he wanted a chance to really prove what he could do. So for him, it's not just about locking down guys. He also said receivers, they come a dime a dozen. Yeah. And what he wants to be able to do is be somebody who can take that away. Because if you're going backwards and you can still make all the movements, you can still do whatever you need to do to stop guys from catching the ball. Yeah. It kind of makes you more valuable. He seems like the guy that, like, volunteers for, you know, special service. You know what I mean? Kind of. Like, I want more. I need more. Uh, Well, if they're going away from you, that... That's a badge of honor. I mean, like Richard I know. Sh- Richard Sherman went through that. Patrick Peterson, and I hate to even bring his name up because he's suspended now, but he went through that, and you have to fight through the boredom, you know? Yeah. What happened? Oh. Okay. Oh. Oh. <laughs> we have to keep fight, going, keep going. Fight through the boredom of, of not being challenged because they will come after you. You know what yes, I mean? At exactly. some point, and you have to be ready for it. Uh, so, look, if you were looking for the next challenge, then good. It's here. It'll be here in training camp, it'll be here in mini camp. You know, uh, when you think receivers come a dime, they come a dime a dozen. Well, there are receivers here that think the same way about corners. Absolutely. So we'll see which one holds up. It was such an interesting conversation because he was talking about his mentality of shifting over to defensive back from receiver because he was playing receiver in high school and he was doing both. And then it came to a point where a coach who was recruiting him told him it's probably easier for you if you switch over to defensive back because <laughs> wide receivers your size probably aren't being taken oh. in the first round and that's not always the yeah, case be- <laughs> but I think it quarterback seems to me just from the short conversations that I've had with him seems to match up with his mentality a little bit better than wide receiver I, just the way that he can be aggressive and take things away and he's cerebral I've always I've already seen him staying late after a workout is done trying yeah, yeah. to talk to Aubrey Pleasant about different things They're discussing different movements, how you should be able to do things. He wants to learn. He has a hunger for that. Certain aggressiveness. I mean, if your team allows it, um, like receiver and corner, there's not much difference between the two. Some people always say it's hands. What do you call a receiver who can't catch? A cornerback, yeah. Right. What do you call a slow corner? Safety. You Uh know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) What do you call a fat safety? Linebacker. (laughs) And and so on and so forth, right? But, I mean, look, if, if there's a player out there that exhibits a natural aggressiveness that you don't have on the defense, side of the football and he's a receiver then okay make that switch you know it is it might be better for you but it's definitely better for us so um you can't flop every 
receiver to corner. You know what I mean? Some guys just won't come up and hit. But it, yes, at, at all. And you can't flop some corners to receiver. Some guys just can't run. And being a receiver, you have to run. That's job number one. So if if your coaches see that and make that switch to the defensive side, that's always a positive in my book. Yeah, I would agree there. Taylor Rapp is somebody else who did not necessarily you know start off on offense or whatnot. But I think his passion for the game and his love for the game and his seriousness about the game of football. This is who he is and what he does. And I think what's great about him, too, is how he wants to be an inspiration for Asian-American athletes. Because I was talking to him and he says, you know, there aren't many people who look like me doing what I do, Mm -hmm. especially at safety position, right? There just aren't that many. When you think about Asian-Americans, Chinese-Americans in particular, there's just not that many Athletes, Patrick Chung in right? football, right? Yeah, Patrick yeah. Chung is pretty much the yeah. only one I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Will Demps played for a little bit. I think there was one more guy, Eugene Chung, way back when was drafted by the Patriots. Not that many. That's 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 a big deal. That's a it lot is. to carry, man. You know, to be to be, I guess, the inspiration for for millions. <laughs> you know, to be that guy, but. Who knows? I mean, look, it's not the first time the Rams have gone there, you know, mm-hmm. with, with guys being an inspiration. So, hey, look, I think he's more of like the Eric Weddle type at safety yes. where he can dominate a game and you'll never hear a pad pop. Huh. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's he closes the gap. He takes great angles to the football. You can see he clearly loves it, and he is a film junkie. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so th- that stuff plays. Now, how fast they get him on the field, we'll see. I would bet, like you said, in some package situations, he's going to be penciled in as the guy to see if he can handle it. I would think so, too. Uh, this is interesting now because you and I, you brought this up when you and I are texting back and forth. It's May 16th, and it's a little early to say this, but who do you think is going to be the Rams rookie of the year? Oh, wow. You mean a legit one? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Not just because of snap count? Right. Because last year it was John Franklin Myers and it kind of was by process of elimination. And I don't mean that in any negative way to John Franklin Myers. Who else would have qualified? Right. Yeah. A, but he also, he did make impact plays throughout the course of the year. He did. So to get that out there, but you have really candidates who are going to not necessarily start, but they probably will make an impact either offensively or defensively this year. Uh, let's see. Rookie of the year. Um, if all goes according to plan, now he's going to be challenged quite a bit, but I, I bet Gaines plays a lot. But at that spot, you're not going to na- you're not going to make enough wow plays. Um, I think the only way a nose tackle gets rec- recognition is if he does wind up sacking the quarterback more than you think he should. Or if the defense all of a sudden turns into a top five defense against the run. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, Then his name will be talked about more. But if the defense, especially the D-line, is playing well, you know who we're going to be talking about more often than not. Aaron Donald. It's going to be hard to overshadow that guy. So uh, I guess the easy one would be Henderson. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I would bet they're going to find ways to get him the ball in space and – in this offense, um, they have a tendency to do that a lot. <laughs> so uh-huh. there'll be situations where he'll make a lot of wild plays. So rookie of the year on this team probably have a chance for league rookie of the year. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I think 
that it's going to be interesting to see what the perception is both internally and externally because the way the Rams award rookie of the year it's voted on by their teammates mm-hmm. so a couple of years ago in 16 for instance Corey Littleton won it because his teammates see the impact that he has on special mm-hmm. teams and, and different things like that Cooper Cup obviously won it in 2017 everybody could have seen that John Franklin Myers I think may have done more than meets the eye when it comes to what he was doing inside the building so Right and wrong. Right. Well, from that, but from that standpoint, the internal standpoint, it could be a Greg Gaines if he comes on and he's able to be that nose tackle in the three four and does what people expect him to be able to do based on why he was drafted. And the Rams' defense does improve against the run. Maybe that is him. If he's making a lot of plays, then you need to redraft. You know what I mean? Meaning what? He needs to go up the board if he makes a lot of plays in this defense. Like... But his job, okay, but yeah. if he's doing his job, and I guess I should have added this on to my previous point, if he's doing his job and he's taking up the double teams in the middle like he likes, like he says he likes to do, even though you say he nobody likes that, if that's happening and Aaron Donald Trust is me, making Miles, more... no one I likes know, it. I, I'm <laughs> being facetious. If, he, if that's happening and Aaron Donald is making more plays, yeah, Corey yeah. Littleton is making more plays, Micah Kaiser is making more plays, this team has a tendency to recognize people and athletes and players who are doing the dirty work. Right, 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 right. So that's why I say, hey, who knows? And, right, I mean, I'm just forward thinking like you're, this is all just fun but I mean I expect a lot of people that are playing nose tackle are going to feel the same way like I'm going to take two you know what I mean yes uh, that's my job that's my role I'm going to accept that role there is a job out there available and I can think of three guys right now or two guys that are probably thinking along the same lines as gains the other guy I would say that has a chance is rap actually yes making plays yes. Uh, being on special teams being everywhere like Corey Littleton plus playing defense yes um, it might be uh, it it might be as obvious as Cooper Cup. Right, like, right. There's no, no doubt. This, this, this. When you look at the starting lineups, and let's say all 33 guys that play, I'm talking special teams, offense, defense, and you keep seeing rap everywhere. Well, yeah, he's going to be the guy. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I've got to pause for a second and do a little sidebar because I'm looking again. To, I, look, yeah, you got to look over there. Aaron Donald is wearing a weighted vest and carrying probably the biggest kettlebell I've ever seen in my life. Doing like a farmer's walk. Is he, is, is he next to the wall? He's not oh. human, basically. Oh, there he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's the only one that's carrying something that heavy. And he's at his chest. I literally, I've never seen somebody like pick up a kettlebell that big, let alone. I think the coolest period. thing in the world is that he's here. That's awesome. Yeah. He he loves being here. Good. I've talked to him about this a little bit. It's he likes being able to have the camaraderie, and he does things that he sets the standard. You know, it was the first day of the off-season program, and Michael Brockers comes into his press conference and says, "Yeah, AD had us basically induced us all on the D line to do an extra workout today." <laughs> I love it. Right. <laughs> I love it. That, I love it. That's I love what it. his presence says. When does. your best players are like that, I mean, you're you're always going to be somewhere around the top as far as winning. Exactly. I don't mind guys that don't show up that are great in September, the mercenary types, just as long as you're not disruptive and taking the guy that should be here with you. Sure. 
that's the bother. That's the thing that bothers me. Um, I, I, I don't have to be here. I'm going to be in great shape. Everybody knows that. Yeah, but the two and three guys that are following you really need to be here a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that, I think, is definitely the difference with him being yeah. here. And it's awesome to see because his teammates gravitate towards him, as they should. And he's a personable guy. And the interesting thing is that when we said, pay him. Right. Way back when. Remember those shows when we said, Pam, your money's safe with him. He's here. They know that. Yeah. And they knew that. Yeah. It was just a matter. It was a matter of when, right. not if. Always right. when you have a guy like that. And I think when you talk about a team that has the kind of expectations that the Rams have, you know, this is a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. This is the time where. Well, the championship. Yes. They were in the Super Bowl last okay, year. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. Championship aspirations. So when you have your guys who are here and they help set the standard, I kind of think that helps manage those expectations internally because you have to have a day-by-day attitude. That's the way the Rams got to the Super Bowl last year. Well, it puts pressure on your coaching staff when you have guys like that here. You know, they're here. Uh, th- they need help getting to where they need they want to go, which is to be a champion. So you're going to have to keep improving uh, on the coaching side as well as the playing side. Yes. Um, I-, I think, you know, we and I'm sure you've answered this question probably as maybe even more than I have because you're on Twitter more than I am, I am about the Super Bowl hangover and yes. why I'm not concerned with it. It's because of what you just mentioned. That ends a Super Bowl hangover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's looking forward to now. You think he's looking backwards working that hard? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think he's looking forward to tearing somebody's head off in 19. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I don't really concern myself with that hangover. I don't think it's possible with the way this team is led and who's doing the leading. Um, now, everyone has to get better. Everybody has to assume uh, – uh, uh, what do you call that? Um you have to assume responsibility for how you played and on improving. Everyone has to, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. But this is why I don't worry about a Super Bowl hangover at all. Because people are accountable in this building. Yeah. And it starts from Sean McVay and it goes all the way down. And I mean, even on the personnel side, when yeah. you have Les Snead where he's accountable and that trickles all the way down. I think that's part of why you don't get the Super Bowl hangover mm-hmm. that you might have on some other teams. The, the attitude here is just very different. No doubt. No doubt. So, I mean, I, I keep hearing these little sound bites from Sean McVay saying, like, he wished he wouldn't had had prepared so hard for the Super Bowl. Uh, see, that was an interesting article that came out of uh, Sports Illustrated. Andy, uh, I, I think I know where he's going. Benoit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, sometimes you overthink it. Yes. Yeah. I remember Nothing I, wrong with it. Right. It I've happens. talked to players about this before. Sometimes you prepare so much that you start seeing ghosts. Yeah. And you start going back to different things. And you're like, well, they may do this. They may do that. I need to be prepared for this, that, and the third. And instead of just doing the things that you would normally do week to week because you have that much study time. So you think I need to do everything I possibly can. And there's nothing wrong with that attitude in the first place. But sometimes when you over prepare, it doesn't allow you to see the trees in the forest. If that makes sense. You got to go through something like that to know that about yourself. 
Right. You got you got to experience. It. I just I remember guys. They would tell me like, I'm gonna hit him with this. I'm gonna spin move back, and I'm gonna fake spin him here and that. Dude, just run right through his freaking chest and right. see if he can stop you first. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Why are you overthinking it so much? Just go out and play. Do you think that that Sean McVay has the right temperament to manage the expectations? Because it seemed like uh, he did last year. I think this is exactly where he wants to be and where he needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. He's out in front. You know what I mean? Yes. And I don't think he's the type that actually looks back to see who's gaining. I think he looks to get faster. Hmm. You know, so year one, success. Year two, success. Year three should be even better. You would think, I mean, hey, that's been the trend the first two years. Absolutely. And I think we all couldn't really expect what happened in 17, just from the standpoint of this was the worst offensive team in football in 2016, and then it became one of the best, the top scoring team at the very least, right? Um, And then you go into last year and they maintain that. Right. And And they did different things. With the same guys. Right. That that weren't very good the the previous year, the year before he got here. And then they all of a sudden got better. Todd Gurley went to a whole new level. Yeah. Jared Goff went to a different level. So that happened in year two. So, yeah, you expect even more growth out of those same guys going into this season. Who do you think is a Ram that has the most to prove going into 2019? Most to prove? Uh, God, I'd love to say Aaron. Really? I would love to say 20 and a half sacks, right? I mean, you're on everybody's radar. So he has to prove that it wasn't an aberration? Well, you chip in 12 this season. Who is you, Aaron, Aaron? Aaron chips in 12 sacks, which is a fantastic year. That would have say, broken your record. They're going to say he took a step back. <laughs> okay. You see what I'm saying? I guess. Yeah, if he doesn't dominate every single drive, they're going to say he took a step backwards. He's not the same guy. Uh, just, I'm what just saying. What an absurd thing for people to say. I'm just saying. Um, I, I said, but I hear you, and I kind of think you're right. I wish I could say Aaron, but I'm not going to because I'm not even going to listen to those goofballs. Those are the same people that said he was overpaid when he started off slow. Right. Right. And then, and did then you, he ended up with 20 and a half sacks. Did you hear any more from them? No. They were gone, yes, right? They, so, some people even said he was underpaid. Right. I wish I could say him. Um, just going down the list. You know, Wit. Okay. Coming back, 37 years old, left tackle, uh, takes care of himself. Um, you know, he's got to keep that energy for, for 16 weeks. I mean, that's that's tough on anybody. That's tough on a guy that's 27. Yeah. You know, now he's 37. Yes. Trying to do it again. So uh, he would be the other one. Jared Goff, obviously. I mean, I don't think ever Jared Goff will ever, even if you beat the Patriots, will ever, 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 ever be universally loved by everybody in football that covers football. There's yeah. always people that that want to take shots at him. Yes. I, I would have drafted Wentz, or he's a system quarterback, or this and that, yada, yada, yada. I don't think he's ever going to get the credit due. So I'll, I'll for the block, I'll go with Jared Goff. Okay. It's, an, it's the easy one. That, that's fair. Uh, Jared Goff would be on my list. I would say Marcus Peters is another one, simply because of his contract situation, mm-hmm. where it, he's up at the end of 2019. The Rams have expressed interest in extending him, but at the same time, he's a guy that self-admittedly did not necessarily play all that well through the first half of the season. And when Aqib Tlaib came back in December, you know, things took off and they were all much better, especially when Tlaib was on the field. But as somebody who probably wants to get paid, everybody wants to get paid, Mm -hmm. a former first round pick, Marcus Peters, I think, does have something to prove in this particular system this upcoming year. Yeah, the the whole Todd Gurley situation, how December went, the postseason, 
season and into the offseason about I'm not hurt. You look hurt. I'm not hurt. That started with Peters, remember? Yes. Yeah. I, I, okay, there's something wrong. No, I'm fine. But you look like something's wrong. No, I'm fine. You Remember that? Yes, yeah, I do. So, yes. I mean, he's not going to tell you if he's feeling good or feeling bad. That's just how he is. You yes. know what I mean? Um, but to me, watching him, you can tell something was wrong physically. Now, you're talking about Peters or? Mark Peters. Or, okay, yeah. Something was wrong yeah, physically. Yeah, yeah. And then when, when you felt great, you could tell you were feeling great. I could tell you were feeling great on the field. So when he's right, one of the best ever. When any corner is ailing and has a bunch of injuries, especially below the below the waist, they're all going to struggle. So I'll 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 take last year as a beat up, banged up year. It's a tough injury to come back from what he did, the calf injury, yes. which is very similar. Actually, I was thinking about it with Kevin Durant and yeah. the Warriors. Yeah. It was the same kind of thing. Everybody seemed to think that it was Marcus Peters' Achilles that got hurt in that situation. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Because the way he turned around. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing happened with Kevin Durant. And as it turned out, Peters was able to play the next week against uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And that was even a Thursday night game. Because he's Gutted tough out. as nails. Exactly. Yeah. Gutted out that performance. But then, you know, things continue to happen over the course of the year. And then as he probably got healthier toward the end of the season, you could see the kind of Marcus Peters that I think everybody was accustomed to seeing. I thought he was outstanding in the Super Bowl, especially. Yeah, I mean, what Hogan had, did Hogan have a catch? Or maybe uh, one catch, I, yeah, but nothing deep and nothing over Peters. Absolutely, I right. thought he played his best football in the Super Bowl. I agree. Yeah, I, I, just going all the way back to a guy who's no longer here, Tremaine Johnson. Remember, he broke the ankle or had something go wrong with the ankle and came back too soon, and yeah. you can tell the guy was lumping. But you can't knock him for his guts. He went out there for his team. I think uh, two players that also may have a lot to prove this year: Joe Noteboom and Brian Allen, just oh, yeah. being rookie. Excuse me, first year starters on the offensive line. They're not rookies. They were in the system last year after being 2018 draft picks. But at the same time, when you are replacing two veteran guys who were so good for so long in Roger Saffold and then also in John Sullivan, it's a tough task. And especially with the kind of defensive lines that are in the Rams division. Yeah. They've got a lot to prove. I see that when you when we say like a lot to prove it, it, I go to what you've already done. And can you maintain that level? I don't know what these guys can do just yet I do I do know they're ready to start they're big enough they're strong enough they're smart enough they've been in the system they know it they can go right in and and start right now I don't know how they're going to play so we'll see um you know I I do know it's it's one hell of a standard on that Mm O-line you know um you know Andrew Whitworth is look is used to looking to his right and seeing one guy you know uh, and, and as long as he's been here, yeah, it, absolutely. So this will be different, um, but what they start with is what they're expecting to finish with. So there's a lot to keep up on with these guys. But you know, if if they stay true to who they are and how we think they're going to play, I, I think they'll be fine in that O line. I really do. I, I agree. The with way you. this system is, um, Jackie Slater used it. This is O line friendly. This, this offense is O-line friendly, and it favors the athletic. Both of those guys are supremely athletic. They are. Yeah. They are. Uh, in that same vein, Micah Kaiser is another guy that I would point out as somebody that has something to prove in this year. But, I mean, he is in the same vein of we don't know what he's going to look like yet, exactly how he's going to perform when he's on the field. No right? doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, I, I hope there's a role for him. I, I hope that 
um, you know, in today's NFL, with with uh, the way linebackers are, are played now and the guys are asking to play linebacker, I, I hope you can carve out a niche for yourself. But, you know, I would hate to get rid of all your in-the-phone booth, you know, play face-first linebackers in favor of athletic guys because that's where the league is going and lose some of your toughness. At sure. some point, man, it's going to be third and inches or fourth and inches, and you need guys that are willing to run through that truck to make a play. Well, I mean, that's that's been Micah Kaiser his whole life. Yes. You know, so at some point, it's going to funnel down to his skill set, but I hope he can grow with that spot. Shout out to Micah Kaiser. He's also a big Game of Thrones fan. We're talking about Game of Thrones in the lunchroom the other day. Everyone seems to be real disappointed with this season. You know, it's just not, it's not sticking the landing. I get the story. I think a lot of people are upset with the Daenerys Targaryen heel turn. Yeah, yeah. That's not where I was upset with it because they've set that up throughout the course of the entire season. My issue was more with the execution of how they did it. And okay. I, I know we're talking about an episode that some people may not have watched yet. Well, let's but not if you do that. Watched, people are getting just no, roasted. No, here's the thing. Yes, they are getting roasted by Queen Danny, by Khaleesi. <laughs> the stop. problem was, and I'm just going to do this, in the last episode, I didn't have a problem with her just going and burning all the people in terms like, everybody was like, that's not her character, that's not her character. They've been setting up her character to do that at least over the course of this season. They've been kind of banging us on the head with it thematically. My issue was... The people that are mad are the ones that buy WrestleMania tickets. Maybe. You're surprised by that. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but my issue was more how they made her have the heel turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she didn't go after Cersei in, in the Red Keep. I thought that when she was standing there on the dragon, sitting there on the dragon, like, she won, the bells were ringing, everything was over, I thought she should have flown straight into Cersei, had the dragon, like, rip up the Red Keep, and then she goes, Dracari, and just flames the ever-living you-know-what out of Cersei. Cersei deserved a better death than, like, getting fallen on by some bricks. Some (laughs) bricks falling on her. She's one of the best villains in television history. This woman blew up the entire septum with green fire. Wait, can I counter with something? Yes. The greatest Starfleet commander of all time is... James T. Kirk. Okay. Captain Kirk. Yeah. Do you know how he died? No, he I don't fell. Want <laughs> oh, come on. I'm just saying. Well, wasn't that disappointing? He fell. Yes, absolutely. That's what I'm but saying. But I'm not surprised, right? Right. Yeah. So it, to me, it's, you know, and if if Daenerys does that, she flames um, a Cersei because she's mad at her for killing her BFF in the episode before, then it's like, man, I just killed her. Bleep it. I'm killing all you. Wow. And then that to me was would have made more sense. But, wow. you know, what do I know? I'm just a no, football No, 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 no. Look, it's never going to end the way you want it. I guess. You but know? Breaking Bad ended more in a more satisfying way. I'm interested uh, to see how they stick this landing. Did you really like that finale? I did. Like, like love it. Like, love the finale. It was it was satisfying. That's the way okay. I can put it. You're, you're not, I mean, the only way that, because Jesse was freed, you know. Yeah. Walt had to die. The only thing that's ever ended, like, well for me has been Endgame. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Everything else has been really disappointing. As our producer, John, emphatically agrees. Yeah, everything else has been a, a disappointment. Uh, yes, but, and yeah. I think that's part of the reason why, like, this, this Game of Thrones is so disappointing because I just saw Endgame, and I just yeah, yeah. saw how they wrapped it up. And it was so satisfying. It was awesome. Three hours on a huge budget. And they've been setting it up for 10 years. <laughs> Wait a minute. I mean, HBO set, setting it up. Hold, please. <laughs> HBO also has a huge budget. I, I watched 
these documentaries that they've got yeah, on yeah. like the HBO um, HBO Go app, right? So it's like forty minute documentary on like how they build on they build the sets on how they do all these different things, and their budget is astronomical, and they also have hours and hours to do this. Well, they're, they're making eighty to ninety minute episodes between, right you, now. How long did you have between Infinity War and Endgame? Like a year. Okay, well you're talking about a show that's on weekly. This it's going to be a little bit more difficult. For HBO them had two <laughs> years to get this season done. I heard the same stuff about the so, Sopranos. How do you end? How do you end the show everyone loves? It's it's hard. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's very a, hard to stick the landing, yeah. but I, I don't know <laughs> that HBO is doing it. Uh, last thing that I, I do want to talk about H, HBO's OTAs. OTAs. Yes. Organized OTAs. team activities. You're right. They yeah. start next week. They are still voluntary, but it is phase three. <laughs> I'm sorry. Of, oh come on, man. They are voluntary. Okay. So if somebody's not here, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, you just can't find them. It's it's okay. You know what voluntary means in the NFL? I do, but okay. it's also I know what the definition of the word voluntary is. So I know that what coaches say and what they believe and what they have to believe. And I've heard this from Sean McVay, Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland, whatnot. Look, the, would you like the player to be there? Of course. Yeah. But it is voluntary, and they have the right not to. And especially if it's somebody you can volunteer like, to be cut too. Oh come on, man! If it's <laughs> but if it's somebody like an Aaron Donald, you know we always say production equals tolerance. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to worry about Aaron Donald not being here. If you need to learn the playbook, you're a rookie. You 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 better oh, wait, be wait. here. Okay. Are are you telling me that? Let's just take ninety percent of the league that's here now and going to OTAs. You think they all want to be there? Probably not. Oh, okay. Just making sure. But just you, making sure. Should you be there? Absolutely. But do you think they want to? Who? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's voluntary. It is voluntary yeah. by the letter of the law. It is voluntary. Right. Yes. So that's the way we have to talk about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do you expect to see during OTAs? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, um, I guess a continuation of this program, especially offensively. Um, you know, watching the receivers get better, watching them improve. Um, you can go man for man if you want, but just watching how guys come back, seeing what their bodies look like. You know, who put on weight, who lost weight, who looks leaner, um, who worked on their skills, you know, um, just all that stuff. I, I can't wait to see how much guys have changed from one year to the next. Uh, yeah, especially the guys who were the rookies last year. How yeah. have they grown and yeah. you know developed and improved and things like that over the course of this year? This is one of my favorite times of the year because we get to be out here and we get to watch everything. Right. And when they are putting in the game plan for week one in Carolina, that is not the case, and I completely understand why. But for now, this is all about fundamentals. This is about teaching. This is... I think it's great stuff, and I feel privileged that I get to watch it. Privileged, easy for me to say. And it's fun to see how things develop this time of year. Uh, Michael Brockers comes to mind. Remember his transformation. Big, huge, wide body. And then all of a sudden... He looks svelte. He he starts to get leaner and leaner and leaner. Now he looks like a basketball player, but he's still close to 300 pounds. You know what I mean? Mm. So just watching those guys change. And then seeing guys that look lost even when they were on the team or timid that would stay in the back 
uh, during the team breakdown. Let me see if they can filter up to the front. Or maybe this guy's breaking down the huddle this time. You know, let me see how you mature from year one to year two or three to four. Um, is, is there a big difference in your attitude when you're facing a contract year? Are you now more engaged? All that stuff starts here in OTAs. It does. It's about communication. I was yeah. talking to Nikel Roby Coleman uh, the other day, and that's what he was saying. You start to develop your communication at this point. See who works well together, how you work well together, and you can start to develop the whys of everything. Yeah. You know, you understand why the system is the way it is. For somebody like a Dante Fowler, mm-hmm. who came in in the middle of the year last year, where it was mostly, all right, you're rushing, go. Get on the edge, go. You have a better understanding now, probably, of why the system is the way that it is. So that, to me, is one of the better things about this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait to see him go backwards. And drop. No, in, in practice. Dropping in practice, yeah. you know, working on that stuff, your skill set. I mean, going forward, you, you can see the guy is a natural pass rusher and he's aggressive. But let me see you actually backing up. Let me see those skills. Let me see you. Let me see your coach working on you with those skills. Sure. No doubt about it. Clay Matthews, too. Yeah. You know, for a guy that they say is, uh, do they say he's on the wrong side of 30? I guess anybody that's beyond 30 is on the wrong side of 30. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's all that is. I'm still on the right side of 30 for a couple of years. I'm not looking forward to being on the wrong side. Of and 30. I, I, look, I bet you dollars to donuts. You wouldn't be able to tell once he hits the field. Yeah. Junior sale was going into year 18 or some whatever number he was on in the teens. And he was outpacing the, the rookies in minicamp. Repeatedly, I expect the same with Clay Matthews. Well, Clay Matthews, Andrew Whitworth, those guys, there's a reason why they've been doing it for yeah. as long as they have. Eric Weddle also comes to mind yeah, yeah. as somebody who's a veteran. It'll be interesting to see how, especially with Weddle and Matthews, you know, they're new on this team. How are they integrated into the fold in different packages, different things like that during OTAs? It's something we'll be able to see because you can go 11 on 11 in those periods. Yeah. Seven on seven, you also get to see, I love that just to see what the offense was trying to get the defense with. True. It's fun, fun little chess match between Sean McVay and Wade Phillips, how they can do different things. One of my favorite memories from last year's OTAs is when they're on the far field over there and Sean McVay calls a screen on the right side. Nikel Roby Coleman, of course, he's great at defending screens, was terrific at it in 17. And so he calls the screen. They run it over to the right side. Nikhil Roby Coleman's right there. He breaks it up, and McVeigh yells, "Roby, I just wanted to see if you still got it." <laughs> that's like the kind it. of stuff you get to I see like at OTA, so that's fun. I'm trying to picture a chess match with McVeigh and Wade Phillips. It's like like Mc, an actual one. Yeah, like McVeigh wants to play speed chess with the clocks, <laughs> and, and Wade just takes the clock and throws it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is probably exactly right. uh, the way that that would go. Anything that you are excited to see there in OTAs, maybe you matchups, know, players maybe playing a different position? Weddle, I mean, in a Rams uniform, I mean, I I guess I came to grips with that when I saw him in Baltimore. Okay. Okay. He's somewhere else. It's going to take me a while to, like, process. There's Clay Matthews with horns on his helmet. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's going to take me a minute to process that. Um, so that that will be number one. Um, something we talked about in the last BTH, I believe, uh, Josh Reynolds. Oh, when yeah. When you get all three receivers back um, at some point, where does he fit and how does he fit? So... You know, I thought he came on pretty strong towards the end of the year. I'd agree. Um, And I bet he wants more. But 
now you're gonna have to you know chase down some reps so how does that happen so just stuff like that yeah yeah and, and of course Blake Bortles the new backup um, I can't wait to see him sling it as well yeah, yeah especially what is he going to look like in preseason I'm sure you'll be seeing a lot of Blake Bortles yeah you know whether that is in the first preseason game to all the way to the last no doubt you know that's gonna be his job to truly really show off what he's learned um, and, and his skill set there uh, something else that you brought up when we were texting who's a guy you were just dead wrong about based oh. off what he looked like <laughs> oh. in the jersey and the shorts oh in OTAs just blew it camp. absolutely blew it who did you hit on a couple of years ago Bradley Marquez yes you hit on you were you were high on Bradley Marquez way before anybody else was. I kind of, I was. Yeah, you were. Um, yeah, that was that was the diamond in the rough. That, you was, that was back in St. Louis. Uh, the guy that got me, and he got everyone, and I think he just signed a contract two days ago. Hemingway, Tamar Hemingway. Oh, tight end, yes. Yes, the tight end. The six foot nine, whatever he was, <laughs> moving down the middle of the field. Wow, that looks great. Wow, that looks pretty. Oh, he just broke his leg. Oh, he's gone. We never saw him again. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so that guy, I was dead wrong. I told you I thought this guy was going to be a star, especially in, in this offense. Yeah, you know, he's one of those guys. Uh, I would not say that I was wrong on this person, but I think that he sold a lot of people based on what was going on this time of year. Brian Quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's unfortunate because <laughs> my first year covering the team in 14, like, he was having a strong start to the season, and then he tore up the shoulder, and then kind of nothing was ever the same from that point on. But that was another guy where you always call him the GTO that's in the garage. Yep, on blocks. It's it's like one month from being, like, a show car. <laughs> You know, it's it's so frustrating, but it's too expensive to get rid of. You know what I mean? And yeah. Also, you keep trying to fix it, and it's just not there. Right. But you can't get rid of it. Right. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> quick. Oh, exactly. wow. The saga. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> the Rams don't have that kind of wide receiving core anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, any parting shots? No, not at all. Uh, good luck. Uh, finding something else to love once Game of Thrones signs off. You know what's been really good on HBO? Barry. That's the Assassin show, right? Yeah, Bill Hader. Bill Hader. It's great. Okay. It's great. I've been, I've been catching up on that. Uh, one of the most recent episodes, Ronnie Lilly, I think was the name of it. One of the best half hours of television I've watched in a while. Are you a Tarantino fan? Big Tarantino okay. fan. Okay. Have you seen the uh, the Hateful Eight, the extended version? Yes. Yes. I saw it in 70 millimeter. I, I saw that when we were still in St. It was December 2015. No, no. The extended version. There's an extended, extended he version? He made it into a miniseries. It's what? It's four parts. It's... Awesome. <laughs> you have to I have see not this. heard about this. Yes. Wait, how long is each part? Uh 45 minutes and there's four parts. Like it's it's four episodes. But it's that would make it 3 hours, wouldn't it? Uh, well, it might be a little bit more per episode, but it's extended, so there's more dialogue. There's more of everything. What I loved about yeah. that movie is it was basically like a play. Yes. So like there's the more Samuel L. Jackson like uh, monologue that he had right before the intermission came. When I saw it in the movie, that was one of the best things. There's I've seen a few in a while. more monologues in there. Ooh. Yeah. There's there. What do you call that when the uh, character development? Yeah. You'll love it. You need to check that out. I do need yeah, to check yeah. that out. Uh, I've got no more parting shots. I think this was enough. That was my enough. parting shot. My parting shot was what I said about Game of Thrones. So I said it earlier in the episode. Oops. He's quitting. He's tapping out. Mate. Yeah, I'm tapping out. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Between the Horns. For DeMarco Farr, I'm Miles Simmons. We will see you next time.